There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi everyone, I'm Jamie Smith, here to talk about Burnley, and you can find me on Twitter at Jamie Smith Sports. Hi everybody, my name is Thomas Barth, I'm the editor of WolvesBlog.com, a website dedicated entirely to Wolverhampton Wanderers Football Club. Uh, you can guess that, obviously, the website itself, WolvesBlog.com, or on Twitter at WolvesBlog. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys, on this, the last day of the 2020-2021 Premier League season and the mouthful that that sentence is. Um, really, really glad to be talking to you guys today. Although, situations that are clubs, a little dicey, but we'll get into that a bit later. Obviously, there was a lot of drama today as the top four race still needed to be decided. Obviously, the title and relegation were already dealt with before this weekend. Uh, but I was just curious what you made of the final day of this season and if you were keeping an eye on the other matches or just on yours just what did you make of the day on on the whole yeah i mean i haven't seen everything obviously because i've only got one pair of eyes but um, it seemed pretty good there was obviously drama with the top four stuff place changed hands a few times and late drama at leicester and stuff like that um i started off for some reason decided to watch my own team which was a massive mistake <laughs> um and the, the game was actually quite good to start with. 10, 15 minutes. It was a decent game. Both teams seemed to be going at it. And then it really descended into end of season fair. And I should have switched over a lot earlier. Um, but I did see the end of the Leicester Spurs game with, with Spurs getting two late goals. Um, and I suppose that's the story of the day, isn't it? Leicester missing out on Champions League for the, the second year in a row. I'm sure we're going to talk about that in more detail. I also liked um, Sergio Aguero getting a couple of goals on his last game for City. Really nice of, of Everton to be so obliging to Sergio Aguero. And <laughs> just give him the guard of honour straight into the goal, let him score the goal. Uh, and he brought the record as well, didn't he, for most goals at a single club in the Premier League. Yeah, he was tied like with Rooney those, before this one. Yeah, which sounds like one of those made-up records, but... <laughs> I'm sure he's got enough records already, but he'll probably be quite happy with it. Um, yeah, last day is always fun, isn't it? It's a shame there wasn't more to be decided. And I was kind of hoping for some um, some rogue behaviour from teams trying to avoid finishing seventh and getting in the Europa Conference League thing, because I didn't think anyone would actually want <laughs> to be in it. But um turns out Spurs did and finished above Arsenal, which is obviously good for local bragging rights in that part of London. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched, obviously, the, the Wolves game. A couple of interesting things happening. Obviously, Nuno's last game for Wolves. I was interested to see whether the team were going to turn up. Man United put out a ridiculously young, inexperienced side, and I quite fancied our chances. And then we subsequently lost, which was great. Uh, so that was interesting. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I stupidly, there was two things I was thinking about. Could we deny Man United going a whole season unbeaten away from home? Because um, they only need to avoid defeat to do that. I think they're only the fourth team in uh, the history of the top flight English game to have done that. So that's a good achievement for Man United. So congratulations to them for doing that. Um, and then, you know, selfishly with Wolves, this is how pathetic our season is that I was actually going to game thinking, oh, we can lock down 12th place in the league. That'd be great. <laughs> and then Newcastle went and scored in like the 86th minute to, to get above us, courtesy of having the same goal difference, but scoring more goals. So we couldn't even uh, couldn't even hold down uh, 12th place, which was a depressing footnote to uh, a pretty bad season in general for Wolves. Uh, but yeah, I think you, you know you've already sort of summed up what, what else was going on that was that was of any interest. Um, obviously, Leicester's capitulation was was a bit of a shame. Um, I would have liked to have seen them make the top four. And uh, it's just quite funny, actually. You know, going into these games when there's stuff to be decided, you always think the teams are going to get results. Like, oh, I thought Chelsea would go to Aston Villa and win. I always knew Liverpool would beat Palace, but quite often the teams slip up, don't they? You know, the, the the pressure of the, the situation gets to them and, and results don't go the way you think they're going to go. Um, so it's a shame Leicester didn't make it. Um, you know, that's West Ham obviously had a, a brilliant end to the season, doing a win at Southampton. So definitely a mention for them finishing where they sixth, I think, in the end. And um, that's European football for them for the yeah. first time in a long time. Um, yeah, and um, because I'm, I'm feeling generous, fruity, the last game of the the season, I'll congratulate Aston Villa, our West Midlands rivals, because I think they had a... I know that, you know, you look at the table and it's not exactly impressive to have finished, what, 11th, but 55 points for them. And they finished the season beating Spurs and Chelsea back-to-back. This is a team that stayed up by not very much, you know, the odd goal last season. They progressed. I think in terms of progression, they probably come on. Them and West Ham have probably been the two success stories, you'd say, wouldn't you? Um, so, uh, but yeah, interesting Leeds as well. You know, Leeds finished the season with four consecutive wins, 59 points. Um, that's a fantastic season for them as well. And Bielsa signed a new one-year contract extension. So there's a lot of sort of sub sub stories, little subplots going on, and interesting stuff for next season already. Um, but yeah, you know, but you know, to answer your question, I was watching the Wolves game, just hoping we were going to get that point. So Nuno didn't finish on a on a defeat. Yeah, for me, I actually managed to get to go to a real-life human pub. Um, there's a Spurs supporters group here in Denver where I just moved. Um, so obviously, uh, almost every TV was on Tottenham, and then one was on Liverpool, which I asked about, and it was to see if Salah would catch Kane for the golden boot, which he wound up not doing. Um, so very uh, kind of one-club focus there as well. Uh, and you guys mentioned kind of all of the other happenings, um, including obviously what happened in that Spurs match, which was Tottenham coming uh, back late to score two late goals to defeat Leicester, who just a week ago were delighted. Obviously, had just lifted the FA Cup, had two matches to, to get into the Champions League, and, and just the exact way the dice fell, they wind up missing out. Second straight year that they've missed out on uh, a Champions League spot on the last day of the season. This year, they were in the top four more days than any other club <laughs> in the Premier League. Still fall short. Um, just curious what, what you guys make of that and, and if this hurts uh, Rogers' reputation at all. I do feel bad for Leicester because, like you say, they were, they were in possession for so long. And I think until the last month of the season, it, it seemed certain. It seemed certain that they were going to get the job done. But 
there's clearly something there that's that's tripping them up at the end. Last season, they had the meltdown in, in the Bournemouth game, didn't they, when Siunchu got sent off and then they missed him in the last couple of games. This season, I think they've been without Johnny Evans for the last couple of games. So, I think things have happened, but they've also lost three of the last four games, including 4-2 at home to Newcastle. So, in that context, they've kind of bottled it. Um and I've seen people on Twitter saying, you can't really call it bottling it because if you'd said at the start of the season they were going to finish fifth, they'd have probably been quite happy. It's still progress. They've won the FA Cup. But if you're in the top four for so long and you don't get it done, that's really disappointing. Um, I I can't say how much of it is on Roger's shoulders because um, I, haven't, I don't think I've seen that much of Leicester recently, to be honest. But I still think if you look at their squad compared to the other teams around them, it's probably the weakest. They obviously lost some of their players to injury as well. Madison's missed quite a lot of the season. He's really important for them. James Justin was flying when he got injured. Harvey Barnes the same. Those two have been talked of as, as going to the Euros with England. Um, so they lost basically their entire left flank for the last three months of the season, I think it was. Uh, Jamie Vardy stopped scoring, didn't he? A couple of penalties today, but the second half of the season, Vardy couldn't really buy a goal. So things did go a bit wrong for Leicester. I can't put my finger on exactly what it is, but it suggests that it's something something within that group that means that they just can't quite get over the line. But the flip side is that they won the FA Cup and it was a bit of a shock result. Over over Chelsea in the final, even though they were above Chelsea in the league at the time, so I'm not sure it should have been considered <laughs> a shot result. Um, so yeah, I think uh, it's tricky, isn't it? Rogers has got such a good reputation, and I think rightly so. He's a, he's a club builder, which I think is relatively rare now because you have all these managers who are short term because they have to be. You don't get results, you get sacked, right? Whereas Rogers has always taken quite a long term view. Leicester have brought through quite. Good young players. Harvey Barnes has developed a lot, like I said. Um, the young lad who's been playing at left back, Luke Thomas, lots of real prospects. He's got a chance as well. So I think there's lots and lots of positives for Leicester. And I think broadly, it's been a positive season and they have progressed. But they must be absolutely gusted to miss out in those circumstances again. Um, and the manner of it as well. Like an own goal from Kaspish Michael. Like Who expects that to happen? It just seems the most unusual sort of way to to manage it, but yeah, I, I just look at the results at the end of the season and think it it really should have been done before today. Yeah, I mean they didn't they they're not going to look back on today's result. I don't think. I think the two games they're going to look back on are the the Newcastle game where they obviously imploded. Um, they just didn't turn up in that game, and then the other one with the week before that, they couldn't beat Southampton. Southampton were playing with 10 men for the whole game practically um, and they couldn't break them down. So those, those are the two the two games they'll look to. You know, they've missed out by a point in four goals, you know. So they only needed a point off Chelsea, um, you know, so that they had plenty of opportunities to do it. Um, so, you know, disappointing for Leicester. They definitely should have done it. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think it hurts Rodgers' reputation because I don't think... They were expected to do it, um, so you know I, I still think he emerges with enormous with enormous credit. 
And, you know, as a Wolves supporter, if you offer me the Champions League or to win the FA Cup, I'd, I'd rather win the FA Cup. Um, Wolves got to the semi-final a few years ago. I was gutted we didn't beat Watford, especially being 2-0 up with 10 minutes to go. That's a side note. Um, you know, and, it, you know, winning trophies is what football is all about. If you're a football supporter, you know, particularly if you're, if you're a team, you're a supporter of a team that doesn't have, like, success fatigue. Having won trophies like Man City and Liverpool and Chelsea, just won, you know, loads of stuff recently. You're desperate to see your team win, so I think that that for Leicester fans is is a memory that's going to last them a lifetime. You know, and a lot of those fans at Leicester can now say they've seen their team win the Premier League and the FA Cup. They've already seen them play in the Champions League. Um, I think the football club and the financial side of things is a different answer altogether, of course, because I think Champions League football changes the complexion of what you can do with a football club, both in the players you can attract and the money you've got coming into the football club. So their owners might see it as a you know significant loss to their immediate ambitions. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I'm, I think I'm right in saying that there's no way they can qualify through you know, Man United winning the Europa League and Man City and Chelsea contesting the final. There's no additional Champions League place up for grabs, is there? I don't believe so because I don't think one gets knocked down to Tottenham, even though Leicester are now double occupying a Europa League spot as FA Cup winners. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So you know, it's it's, it's disappointing for Leicester, but you know they were in the conversation again. And as you as other, as you've said before, that you know their um, it's their squad that that's just not it's not where it needs to be. And I think the the injuries they've had they've had you know ridiculous luck with injuries this season. As have a lot of clubs. Um, but that they felt the pinch, and I think that is probably the difference between between fifth and fourth, and just getting those few results, those few goals that just would have got them, you know, just over the line. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I thought I was going to have to come on here and talk about how uh, if it was Tottenham, I'd much rather it be a trophy. But but I think you've hit it hit it right on the head that 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 evening that they'll always have and, and the scenes of the owner being called down and all the emotions, obviously following the the passing of his father and then him kind of carrying the torch and leading them to another wave of success. It, it wasn't just the one-off of, of the Premier League title year. I, I think uh, I think you'd rather win that. Uh, obviously, a lot of clubs are in financial uh, dire straits right now after uh, the pandemic and obviously no fans and stands for, for that whole time and uh, obviously some other COVID-related economic hits. So I think financially, you'd rather uh, be in the Champions League than win a trophy. I'm sure that's kind of how someone like Daniel Levy thinks. Um, but yeah, as a fan, I think you'd much rather have that memory of lifting the trophy and having that moment that you'll always remember rather than just kind of a collection of good results like like Tottenham fans have with uh, Pochettino. But yeah, Jamie, just curious, what are your thoughts on kind of the uh, focusing on the FA Cup versus versus just trying to target that top four spot? What would you have looked for Burnley to do if you had been in that position? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's about focus. I think if you if you like the Southampton were and they were mid table and not really going anywhere and they could really throw everything at the FA Cup, I think that's different. But when you were Leicester, I think they had enough to compete on all fronts and I think they tried to do that. I don't think there was any sense of priority in the closing weeks of the season. I think if it was us, I agree with Thomas, I'd rather win the FA Cup. Um I think go to Wembley, see your team win on the big day like that, I think that's memories for a lifetime. And Thomas was right. They've, they've been in the Champions League before. I'm sure they'll get in in the next few years at some point. But they've never won the FA Cup before. It was the first time they've won the FA Cup. None of their fans had ever seen that before. 
concept or something completely new and to do it in the manner that they did with such a wonderful goal from Thielmans, I think that's something that Leicester fans will, will rightly cherish for the rest of their lives, really, whereas the Champions League, it's it's obviously great to be in it, and Thomas is right when he says it means you can attract more players and you've got more money and things like that, but it just seems like a bit of a treadmill, like you get in the Champions League and then your aim is to get in the Champions League again. Like You've seen teams resting players in the Champions League for league games because they need to get back into the Champions League, you know what I mean? So it, it seems to be a bit of a circular thing, and I think once you're in it as well, you then rely on the financial side and you need to be in it all the time. And if you're in it and then you drop out like Arsenal have or like Tottenham have in the last couple of years, I think then it really hurts you. So I'm sure Leicester would love to be in the Champions League and win the FA Cup. But if you'd have probably offered them this deal at the start of the season, finish fifth and win the FA Cup, I think they'd have probably taken it on balance. Yeah, I think I think both of you have made a lot of really good points there. Um, so... Brendan Rodgers' stock not too far down, although he did go out and and clarify that he's... uh, I think he was asked if he was uh, able to allay any fears that Leicester fans had that he might be leaving for Tottenham, and he said 200% that he's very happy there. So uh, you can bury that rumor along with most of the other (laughs) managerial rumors to Tottenham. But uh, we can stick in that general vein. I think we touched on this last week as well, but I was just curious from you guys, who do you think deserves to be... uh, manager of the year for this season and what did you make of your own manager's performance this year as well yeah i think there's a, a few good contenders I, I wouldn't be surprised if if guardiola won it because i think more often than not the team that wins the league does get it and city were outstanding over the second half of the season um but i, I think personally i would go for david moyes the job that he's done at West Ham, it still seems to be going under the radar. And yes, the last couple of months, they've let things slide a little yeah. bit. And they only finished two points outside the top four in the end. So I think one game that they'd lost if they'd won, they'd been in the Champions League. But finished sixth above Spurs, above Arsenal. Nobody was tipping them to do that at the start of the season. When they brought Moyes back, West Ham fans were not exactly happy about it. They thought it was a, an unambitious appointment that was going to keep them plodding along mid-table, just avoiding relegation every season. Moyes obviously had other ideas. You've got to remember, Moyes is someone who did fantastic work at Preston to earn the job at Everton, and did fantastic work at, at Everton. Like we were saying earlier about Brendan Rodgers being a club builder, David Moyes is a club builder. The first time at West Ham, they didn't let him do that. They didn't give him the tools. They didn't put him in charge of the recruitment. He didn't have control. Second time, they realised that they'd messed up. And they said, here here is the keys to the club, essentially. David Moyes now runs that club. And they're sixth in the league. He's done an absolutely wonderful job. Um, Someone else I'd throw in, and Newcastle fans listening will be throwing their phones or stereos or computers to the ground now. But Steve Bruce did a pretty solid job. They finished 12th in the league. Newcastle finished 12th, right? Two months ago, people thought they were going to get relegated, and they finished 12th. Um, I don't think it's any surprise that their results picked up at the end of the season when Callum Wilson got fit and Alan St. Maximan got fit. Basically, their two best players didn't play enough games throughout the season. Joel Willock, obviously, an inspired loan signing, scored 7-7 seven seven at the end of the season. So they finished really, really strongly. And considering all the abuse that Steve Bruce gets, all the stick that he gets, it seemed 
foregone conclusion that Newcastle were going to get taken over by the Saudis and get rid of Steve Bruce and put some fancy foreign in charge. And Steve Bruce is still there, still doing his job, doing Steve Bruce things and finishing 12th in the league, which, considering the season Newcastle have had, is a very, very, very good achievement. Um, in terms of my own manager, our own manager, he's not my manager, um, I think Sean Dash did a solid enough job. Um, it was a real mixed bag of a season, but priority was always to secure survival and having started as badly as we did to then turn it around and have three games spare at the end of the season is is a good enough achievement. There was obviously the takeover going on in the background. We didn't really make any signings to add to the squad, so it was tricky and I think we've probably been affected more than some clubs by the, the no fans thing. Um, our away form has been better than our home form, which is unheard of, really. So, yeah, I think Dash will have learned a lot about how to manage in extreme circumstances. He, I think he said that it's one of his best achievements just keeping Burnley in the league. So, um, who am I to argue? I think he's done done solid enough work, even though some of the same doubts that people might have about him have been, been floating around in the background as well. Uh, yeah, Guardiola will win it. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And um, just in defence of Pep, uh, I think it'd be a lot of people saying he's a checkbook manager, blah, 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 he's got the best squad, which, which is true, of course. Um, but I would just point out the, the way he's got Man City playing, he's kind of changed changed the dynamic of that team. Um, and they haven't been quite so soft-centred. Um, he's kind of set them up, and I think they've just been cuter in the way they play. They're not quite as... I've got quite as much cut and thrust going forward, but there's more balance to the team. Um, and I think he's been very cute with how he's managed the squad and, and he's found a couple of ways of playing um, with, with very different type 11s and, and done very well. So, uh, you know, I don't think it should be taken for granted that, you know, Man City should just play this great football, even though they have got great players, because it doesn't always pan out that way. So I think Pep will win it. Um, but I mean, you know, I, I'm kind of with Jamie in the respect that I always think, well, maybe we should be looking at the managers who, against what you expect and what they deliver, you know, the differential. Um, so in that respect, the only one I, I would mention is Bielsa at Leeds. Um, you know, they've finished in ninth with 59 points, which, which in itself is an incredible achievement. Um, and I've watched a lot of Leeds games this season, and I think they've, they've been unfortunate not to win more games. And I think conceivably they could have got another five, six points and been in the, you know, been in the contention for the, you know, Champions League, let alone the Europa League, if things had just gone a little bit differently for them in some of those games. Um, and maybe they just had a bit more awareness of how to manage some games in the Premier League. So I think Bielsa is a, is a kind of wild card shout. He won't get he won't get it, of course. Um, because I think if he didn't go to Guardiola, it would probably go to David Moyes, um, and which again I would have no problem with. Uh, with, with, with new Noah Wolves, um, obviously he's leaving, so it's kind of a moot point to really assess his performance because it doesn't really matter. Um, but uh, I think with the injuries we've had, uh, he's done okay generally. I think we're a little bit, we're probably a little bit under par. I think I'd like to have seen us push up towards 50 points really. Um, but having said that, you know, we just sold or lost all the goals in our team to injury. I mean, not replacing uh, Jota and Doherty with players who can create and score goals, then losing Raul to injury. That was our season KO'd in uh, November, start of November. So, you know, from that point on, it was it was 
really was going to be damage limitation. So I think 45 points, 13th place, you know, some decent wins. It, it, it was okay. It was fine. It certainly wasn't a sackable offence. And it's hard to, you know, seeing the news, it's still not really clear whether Nuno's been given the push or whether he's left. You know, they're saying it's a mutually agreed, but that's never really the case. Is it? It's always one party um, pushing for it more than the other. So that will eventually come out in the wash. But, but yeah, I, I think I'd probably just give Nuno a C this season if, you, if you're giving it, calling it grades. But obviously he's been A++ the other three years he's been at the club. So it has been a has been a backward step. Yeah, and then obviously for Tottenham, uh, two managers for us this year. Uh, Jose Mourinho, a uh, pretty resounding F with the squad that we built to go from first in uh, December, which uh, although it should be noted that at the time we mentioned that we were only maybe 14 or 15 matches into the season um, by that point in December when usually we would have been kind of well into the the later teens there before the turn of the year. But uh, yeah, w- with everything he was given with us actually backing him on like we <laughs> failed to do for Poch, uh, he was definitely given all the tools he needed to compete on all fronts. And then obviously disappointing uh, to get knocked out of the Europa League, knocked out of the FA Cup in a very weird match. Um, obviously losing in the Carabao Cup final, but that was obviously post-Jose. And, and by the time he was sacked, we really didn't have that much hope of a Champions League, Champions League spot. Although, in hindsight, I think we just finished five points out of the top four. So it really was there to be had. And, and just about every opportunity we had to uh, take a step forward to really you know, put our names forth as a candidate for one of those top four spots. We failed to do so. So pretty massively disappointing on the whole. Um, We were joking a little bit before the show about how Thomas and I are disappointed because we're both going to be managerless heading into the summer. And then we joked that Jamie uh, wouldn't have to deal with that. But apparently uh, Sean Dyche is one of the targets for for other spots. So out of curiosity, which kind of managerial names that are floating around right now would you like to see at your club in particular or just join the league in general? Yeah, I was trying to think about this because we, we've we been out of the game so long. Dash has been at the club eight years, so the last time we needed a manager, the sort of names that we were talking about were completely different to what they would be now, especially since we were in the championship and mid-table at the time. So it's extremely difficult to think about who I would like to bring in. Um, I'm I'm not arguing for this. But I made the suggestion on Twitter when it stopped coming out that Roy Hodgson was going to leave Palace that if Burnley needed a manager, they could do a lot worse than Roy Hodgson. So maybe a job swap could be on the cards. Mm. I just think priority for Burnley is always going to be to stay in the league, right? Roy Hodgson's worked on small budgets. We've got an experienced squad. He's comfortable working with that because he's had the same at Palace. The style of football is not going to be massively different under Dyche or Hodgson. So I think it would be a, co- a sort of continuity appointment. Um, and obviously not long term because Hodgson's in his 70s. He's probably not going to carry on for that long. And to be honest, I don't think it's the sort of challenge that would appeal to him at this stage. I think he's not said that he's going to retire because he doesn't want to have to come out of retirement the next time he wants to take a job. But I suspect he'll at least take a break and wouldn't want the Burnley job if it came up. But yeah, I, I I was just a bit surprised that people were shouting at me for it when I don't think there's many more experienced 
managers than Hodgson around that know the Premier League as well, know what it's like to work at smaller clubs. He's managed Fulham, he's managed West Brom, he's managed Palace. He's used to having to go up against the big boys all the time. Um, he's managed in the Northwest because he used to be at Blackburn. Maybe that's why people were shouting at me over it, but that was a lifetime ago, pretty much. Um, so, yeah, we're not really in the, the game. I still don't think Dice is going to leave. I think Palace might flirt with him a little bit and then go for somebody else. Um, so hopefully it's going to be a bit of a moot point for us. Um, yeah, I've got, I've got no idea who we, we'd go for, really. Years and years ago, I, had, I interviewed the then chief executive, and this is how long ago it is. I think we've had two or three chief executives since, and he was telling me that they have a file of managers that they kept updated all the time, just in case, because you never know what's going to happen, right? The manager might get another job offer, something might happen in his family, like what happened when we had Eddie Howe and he decided he wanted to go home when the chance came up to go to Bournemouth. So you never know when you're going to need a manager. And um, it was Lee Hoos, I think he's at QPR now. He was he was almost going to show me the file. <laughs> and then I think caught himself and was like, <laughs> showing this second. guy from a fan site. Not a great idea to show him the file of managers that we've got because he's going to tell everyone because that's, that's what he does. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably standard behaviour, isn't it, for clubs? So presumably whoever followed who's has got similar similar files that, that have managers in mind. But yeah, there's certainly no one leaping to mind other than me going for a really obvious safe name in, in Roy Hodgson. And I can't imagine anyone else will be going, you know who we should get? Roy Hodgson. No one in the league would be thinking that, right? I think uh, Hodgson's a good, good, solid choice. I think, uh, what about uh, Chris Wilder at Burnley? Could you take him? I think Wilder's an interesting one because he overachieved so much at Sheffield United and that was his club. And I think sometimes managers just do well at one club. So yeah. I'd like to see Wilder somewhere else to see if he can replicate that. But I've talked about Wilder on the show a few times and I sort of go against the grain and I think they were right to get rid of him because of the things that he was saying basically made him his own position untenable, I think. He basically sacked himself by comments to the media about his boss. Um, but I think he was quite inflexible regarding tactics and recruitment. So he'd probably be quite similar to Daesh in a way, but certainly in terms of character, real solid, salt-of-the-earth type bloke, similar to Daesh in that regard. So, yeah, if we were looking for profilers, was almost like the man rather than the manager. I think Wilder would probably be a good fit, but I suspect his next job will be in the Championship, not in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, probably agree with that. I think I, I think for Wolves, um, the, the manager I would like at Wolves is Rafa Benitez. But that's probably stretching, you know, reality <laughs> a little He's bit. He's nearly Portuguese. So it's close. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's quite close. Um, he would be the one I like because if he came, then I would go, well, it definitely the wheels can't fall off completely next season. We'll only be we can only be so bad with him in charge. So uh, you know, he would be the manager that I would be looking to go to. I think he's available now. I think he left the job that he had in China, his money back job. Um, so he would be available. He'll probably be uh, Tottenham's panic option if they don't find anyone there. Um so I, you know, I take him definitely, but I, th I think, and unfortunately for Wolves, um, we're going to be working out of uh, Jorge Mendes' phone book again. So we'll be having a, 
Portuguese manager. They're already talking about, I don't know how you say his surname, but I think it's Bruno Large or Lage or Lager. I don't know how you say his surname, but he was the Benfica manager. He's a guest of Boutte client, one of Mendes' clients. So, you know, and he obviously is Portuguese, so he'll be, um, he's, he's probably the most likely person at Wolves. The other manager that the name that seems to be getting mentioned is uh, Paulo Fonseca, who's left Roma. Um, and obviously Jose is going to build in his, you know, space there. But again, Fonseca is Portuguese, uh, experience in an elite league. Um, so, you know, he might be an interesting choice. Um, but yeah, be someone, there seems to be a consensus that it's going to be a, a Portuguese manager just to keep the, the, the thing going that we've got with, you know, Portuguese players. Recruitment will probably be Portuguese. They're already talking about getting the Vinicius, the player who's at Tottenham this season, um, to come over, you know, the, those Benfica links already. So, um, yeah, that that's what it'll be, really. But I think sometimes you just... You see managers and, and you link them with that, that club, don't you? And it, you, you sort of build up an image of what you expect. Um, I think the Palace position will be very interesting because if they don't go for for, for Deutsch, then I, I'm, I'm just looking around thinking, where are they going to go? Because, I mean, they had a disaster with De Boer. Uh, I think he was the manager before Hodgson came in. And they won't want to repeat that again. And because they've got to do this serious makeover because they've got so many players at the end of their contracts, um, and Zahar wants to leave. There's a massive rebuild job there for next season. And there's every chance, along with Wolves, that you know you, you make the wrong steps, then what's been a fairly comfortable mid-table season in the end could could very easily become a you know a relegation fight because it's very unlikely you're going to get three teams as poor as the teams that have been at the bottom this season in terms of their points tallies anyway. Um, so it, you know it'll be a lot of those, the clutch of those teams in mid table have really got to be looking over their shoulder and being, you know, making the right managerial decisions very quickly. Yeah, you mentioned Benitez might be one of the ones that kind of uh, piques the interest of Tottenham if some of our primary options fall through. It sounds like uh, our uh, short list is all the names that are being linked, um, not by the Italian media who just keep mentioning every single Italian manager that's ever existed. But um, it sounds like uh, if you're kind of sticking in in the Premier League, uh, Graham Potter is is one of the names that keeps getting um, bandied about as one of the uh, most likely, which would be surprising given the season that they have. Although it's worth noting, we talked about how Leicester arguably deserved better this year. Brighton had a higher expected points total than Leicester did this year. Only missed it by about the 20 points. Um, but, um, obviously, as a, a pretty nice... Um, play style, maybe with the right players, it would work. Obviously, their issue this year is that nobody can score goals up front for them, which uh, we joked would not be an issue with Harry Kane. But, you know, that was more than two weeks ago when we thought he was going to be staying. So uh, we'll see if that ends up uh, being what happens. My my secret pick I always wanted was Gaultier from Lille, uh, who looks set to win the League One title uh, as we speak. Um, and it was kind of sounded like he was just ready for a new project after the cycle he just completed at Lille, bringing in all these young players, getting them to perform, and now it looks like winning that title. But apparently he's off to Nice, which seems like at best a lateral move. That's <laughs> yeah. it's a very strange one, but that's that's who I really wanted. Um, and outside of those, there are not many names that are particularly inspiring. Um, and, and then obviously Nuno's name came up because then we wouldn't have to pay a pay a fee for it. But um, anyway, yeah, it's it's going to be a, a weird one. 
Uh, Allegri and Regnick were probably the, the two best free agent managers out there. Um, allegedly, our issues with Allegri are that he doesn't speak uh, English particularly well, and also that he might be on his way back to Juventus, depending on what they do. Um, and Regnick has apparently had some uh, not-so-great comments out there in the in the press, but he would solve kind of our lack of director of football and lack of manager needs. So on just the footballing context, that would be an interesting one. But yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a really, really annoying summer, it looks like, um, with no manager in and potentially our best player leaving. Kind of like Crystal Palace, like you were just mentioning there, Thomas. Um, all right, we will take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. All right, and we are back. Jamie, we'll start off with you talking about Burnley. Um, hate to do this to you, but obviously uh, we talked about this a little earlier in the year that some of the bigger names at Burnley might be on the way out. Do you think that that is still the case? Do you think it's more or less likely depending on Dyche's future? Just Do you think we'll see a bit of a shakeup at Burnley, or do you think it'll basically just be the status quo again heading into uh, the 2021-2022 season? Um. I think one to watch is James Tarkovsky because he's come out and publicly said that he won't sign any contracts because he wants to play in the Champions League. Um, and that seems fair enough if teams that are in the Champions League come in for him, which didn't happen last yeah, year. Yeah, and I don't know if it would this year either with the four that ended exactly, up going. Exactly. So Tarkovsky's in a, in a bit of a tight spot. I think... He probably thinks he needs to leave to get back in the England squad, but Nick Pope has been in the England squad for two, three years, and he is at Burnley, so it doesn't really make sense for me, that logic. Um, but he's, he's within his rights to, to want a new challenge. He's in the peak of his career. He's been, for my money, one of the most consistent and reliable centre-backs in the Premier League. Um, there's more to his game than than we see at Burnley because of the way that we play. We don't ask him to carry the ball out from the back and to to pass it particularly, but he can do that. He did it at Brentford. He did it at Oldham when he was coming through as a young player. So I think Tarkovsky has gears to his game that, that we don't necessarily see at Burnley and it's not really his fault. So I absolutely don't blame him for, for thinking that he can go somewhere else and show everything that he can do. Whereas at Burnley, we, we see maybe 75% of his capability um, last summer there was a lot of talk about Leicester. They signed for Farner instead, who's been one of the best players in the in the league for his age um, in the last year. So I don't think Leicester will regret that. 
I think if Leicester had got in the Champions League and they'd have had more money to spend and needed to bolster the squad, maybe they'd have come back in. Johnny Evans is getting on. He's had injuries this season, but I don't know if Leicester will come back in. West Ham wanted him as well, and they ended up with Craig Dawson on loan, who turned into the best pound-for-pound signing in the league. Somehow, Craig Dawson. <laughs> in so, 2021. If, yeah, yeah. It's uh, emblematic of the, the season that we had that Craig Dawson turned into one of the best defenders in the league. What happened there? So I, I don't know if West Ham will come back in for him. Maybe they will because they're in the Europa League and they're going to have this Thursday-Sunday grind. I think the danger with Tarkovsky is that the grass is always greener, right? I'm not saying that Burnley is the best club in the world to be at, but he could make the wrong move and end up sat on a bench. And that would be such a waste. And yeah, he might increase his pay packet. He might get twice the money that, that we can offer him, but does he really want to not play? <laughs> I don't know. I think there's a, there's always a danger when you're the sort of big fish in a small pond. And we've, we've touched on Zaha at Palace. He's had it year in, year out. He seems like he always wants to leave. And then when he left, he wanted to come back, right? So I think Zaha's a bit of a cautionary tale for players in this situation. You think that they've outgrown their club. Um, but for me, Zaha hasn't outgrown Palace. He hasn't shown that he can do it consistently enough to, to, to be at a bigger club. And when he went to the bigger club, it didn't work. So I think players should maybe think about the Zahas of this world who, who've earned the big move and then it's sort of backfired a bit and they've had to go back home. Um, but I don't begrudge Tarkovsky. I think he could certainly play for a top six club. I read something actually when Lampard left Chelsea, one of the in-depth pieces, I think it was in The Athletic, suggested that Lampard wanted Tarkovsky, but it was just a case that they'd done too many big deals and they got to a stage where they needed to then sell to buy and they couldn't get rid of the fringe players to raise the funds. Um, and they got Thiago Silva on a free instead. So, But I think Chelsea would have been a pretty good move for him. Um, again, I can't see them coming back in for him. So I think he's in a in a in a tight spot. Um, the two others that I suppose will get highlighted will be Nick Pope and Dwight McNeil. Um, McNeil, there's some talk about Villa, which I presume is if Grealish goes, McNeil might be their idea of a replacement. They're not exactly the same sort of players, but playing similar roles they're not completely different so there's some logic to that maybe but I think McNeil might end up in that sort of chain where someone else has to move and then he replaces them um, and Nick Pope's in the, the same position that all goalkeepers are in that the, you can only play one right I mean I'd be all for changing the rules and letting teams pick multiple goalkeepers but you can only have one so you're looking for clubs that need a goalkeeper and I don't know if any of the, the big boys do so I don't know where Nick Pope would go um, I don't want to say these guys are stuck at Burnley because of a lack of options but I think there is a chance that all three could maybe flirt with leaving and end up staying I think Tarkovsky is the, the interesting one because he's got a year left on his deal he said that he won't be new but Burnley could still say well unless we get 50 million he's apparently got this release clause in his contract but it only applies to certain clubs which is weird um, but we can hold firm on that. Doesn't sound like we need to sell financially, despite the last year devastating a lot of club finance in the Premier League. So we can say, this is the price. If no one pays it, tough, you stay. And then if he walks away for nothing in a year, we just have to eat that. Um, 
but is it worth it to to keep the the defensive unit together? I don't think a defence with Tarkovsky and Ben Mee and probably Nick Pope gets relegated. So is it worth it to guarantee safety for another year? I don't know. I think these are the discussions that the club is going to be having with Daesh and with the new owners over the next few weeks, probably. Yeah, definitely worth keeping an eye on there. I also want to talk about some of your uh, reserve goalkeeping options. If you were to lose Pope, have you seen enough from from Peacock Pharrell or, or your other options to think that you're okay in-house or do you think you would have to dip into the market? Yeah, yeah, they're not okay. So um, we would definitely <laughs> need a new one. It's quite interesting the last couple of games when Pope's had this knee injury that sounds like it's going to rule him out of the Euros. So um, I think it's probably been mismanaged by the club in that he had this knock and they seemed to hope that it was going to be fine and then it wasn't fine and now he needs a surgery that's going to mean he can't be in the England squad. It seems like they've really messed up there, but... Maybe he just had a little knock and it got worse in trading or something. I don't know. It just seems to me that they've maybe made a mess of it. Um, but it was interesting, to, to get back to the question that you actually asked, it was interesting that the last couple of games we played, Will Norris, who's supposedly the third choice, rather than Peacock Farrell, who's been Pope's deputy before, Norris has been deeply, deeply unimpressive. He waved in the Sheffield United goal today. Um, the defenders were astonished that it had gone in. It was just a nothing shot from about 25 yards from David McGoldrick and somehow ended up in the back of the net. It was like just not something that you would see in the Premier League. Um, but I think it was right to have a look because I think we have to be aware that Nick Pope won't be at Burnley forever. At some point, he will get his chance. So we have to look at what we've got. Peacock Farrell, I think we've seen... He's kind of flashy. He reminds me a bit of Jordan Pickford. He makes saves that you wouldn't expect him to. And then he just doesn't do the basics of being a goalkeeper. But Peacock Farrell's young. He plays internationals more than he plays for us with Northern Ireland. So I think there's more to work with with Peacock Farrell. But yeah, I think if Nick Pope did go, and I think it would take a lot of money to get Nick Pope, and we've seen big money go for goalkeepers in the Premier League in the last few years, um, I think it would take a big fee sort of in the region of like the Mendes that, we, that we've seen go in the last 12 months, 48, 12 months, uh, sorry, two, three years even. Um, but I think we would certainly need to go for one. There's been some speculation that Ramsdale at Sheffield United will be a target, even though he's been relegated two years in a row. I don't particularly rate Ramsdale, so I hope that's not true. But yeah, I think we would certainly need a new number one if Port went, because the two that we've got, I don't think are anything like Premier League goalkeepers, at least now. Mm, gotcha yeah and you wouldn't want to just entrust the job to them if, if Pope did go but like you said not not entirely likely at present all right Thomas we'll come to you now to talk a little bit about Wolves obviously we touched on it earlier in the show with, with Nuno leaving and I just wanted to kind of give you an opportunity to talk about the Nuno era at whole and where this kind of leaves you looking forward oh yeah well, where do you start I mean incredible four years you know I don't need to go over it too much, but, you know, promoted out of the championship, one of the best, most dominant seasons by any team in championship history um, to win that league, uh, come up into the Premier League, back-to-back seventh place finishes, Europa League football, then quarterfinals of the Europa League, only losing out by the narrowest of margins to Sevilla, who went on to win the trophy. We also missed a penalty in that game. Um, so, you know, we really did go to the sharp end of that competition. And, it just felt like for a while we had it in the palm of our hands. You know, that see the end of that last season when we had 
uh, Jimenez and Jota and Traore and Neto. We just had all these players and we had that spine of a team that had taken us up. We just, we needed to add one or two players without losing any players. And instead we had to sell key personnel to raise money. And then the players they brought in haven't, haven't done very well. And then obviously injuries have hurt us and that's why we've been where we are. And if we to believe that, uh, you know, that Nuno's been sacked, it, it seems very harsh because of, it seems that fate has conspired to, to sort of dismantle that team that he's he's so you know skillfully built up. Um, but I think it's worth pointing out that what what Nuno means to the the community in Wolverhampton because it's not a fashionable place <laughs> to live. Uh, it's not a fashionable place is to go and manage a football club. But he's taken it in, taken the city into his heart, you know, and he he's lived in the area. A lot of managers and players come and live you know, miles away, but he, he's lived very much in the city. Uh, he's literally fed and put clothes on the backs of local people through donating over a quarter of a million pounds, you know, to the local charities. He's loved, you know, his face is all over the city, graffiti on lampposts, stickers everywhere. You know, he's, sim- you know, symbolic of the club's rise, really. So it's a massive thing for him to leave um, and it's leaving a crater, if I'm honest, in, in Wolves. I think a lot of fans now are looking around thinking who can possibly come in and, and do what he's done, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, in, in summary, it's uh, it's a devastating blow, you know, because it's been three wonderful years and one difficult year. But, you know, football doesn't stand still, unfortunately, and uh, we've learned that the, the hard way this week. Yeah, obviously sad to see somebody that was so ingrained in both the, the club and the community to to go as he did. You mentioned that we'll probably hear about what, what led to this later, but just curious, his next job, do you think it'll be an upward move, a lateral move, or a downward move? Hard to say. I mean, the, 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 the report seemed to be that, uh, that Mendes was sort of, Counting his name around, and he, the expectation was that there'd be a Champions League level club interested in recruiting him because he's he's generally done quite well at Wolves. I think it was widely accepted that this year has been more down to injuries than mismanagement. Um, you know what? Why the team struggled? So I think I think what will probably happen is he will he will take some time out and he will wait for jobs to become available. And I think he'll be expecting a, a move up the ladder. And I. I I would have thought so. I can't, I can't see him going to a Crystal Palace or, uh, you know, I don't try and think of another like-for-like team. You know, it, it will be... I, I, when he left on Friday, I thought, oh, it wouldn't surprise me if he's going to Tottenham because, you know, they've, they've, they seem to have stalled in their managerial search and it just made sense that maybe they've just gone, well, let's get someone who we know can manage in the Premier League and maybe we can tap into some of Mendes' his, his, uh, you know, clients and... I don't know, but then I suppose that would have been seen as a backwards move by Tottenham fans in terms of style and, and the way he likes to play. So, but yeah, to answer your question, I think he'll be expecting um, an upward move, and I think he'll be he'll either have something lined up already, or he'll be going back home to be with his family and expecting a call next season. Personally, I hope he doesn't ever come back to the Premier League, only because you know when you have a good relationship with a manager, kind of how Tottenham are with Pochettino, I imagine you don't want yeah. to see him coming back and. And, you know, ruining that by managing someone else and, uh, you know, tarnishing that memory. But um, genuinely, you know, best of luck to him. We'll see. We'll see where he, uh, see what happens. And it's uh, certainly an interesting one because I think, um, you know, I think he certainly enhanced his reputation at Wolves. 
Yeah, definitely a, a solid manager that I think was hard done by by all of the weird circumstances that that surrounded your club this season. Kind of, we talked about Wilder earlier, victim of his own success. I think uh, you could certainly say the same uh, for you there at Wolves. Um, all right, uh, we'll wrap up with Player Watch. I just wanted to get uh, from you guys quickly: who do you think should have been or has been uh, awarded your club's Player and Young Player of the Season awards this year? Uh, yeah, I don't think ours has happened. If it has, it's completely passed me by. But I suspect it will be now that the season's finished. Um, it's a tricky one because it's been such an up-and-down season for us, but I think there's probably three or four candidates. Chris Ward, very consistent towards the end of the season, finished really strongly. Nick Pope, solid, reliable. He's won it two of the last three years. Um, but I would personally go for Tarkovsky in the hope that giving him some shiny trophies persuades him to sign the new contract. Please sign the new contract, James. So I think Tarkovsky will be a good shout. He's been very, very reliable. And at the start of the season when he was injured, um, we were terrible. So I think that was a it was the classic. You really see what you, you've got when they're not there. And when we didn't have Tarkovsky and me, um, the defence was just horrible. So, uh, yeah, I think Tarkovsky would be my pick ahead of Wood. Um and Pope, I think, are probably the two main candidates. And Burnley don't have young players, so by default, I have to talk about Dwight McNeil again, for God's sake. Is that still allowed? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he's, he's like 21, so he, he probably fits the bill for a young player. Hmm. It's not a great season, to be honest, by his own high standards, I think. Um, McNeil is someone who's, who's really finding it difficult to to perform consistently. Um, maybe the sort of second season syndrome type thing in that teams know about him now, they know that he wants to go on the outside and get crosses in, they know how Burnley is set up, McNeil crossing into Wood is basically how we try and score all of our goals. Um, so he's not had a brilliant season, he hasn't had the sort of breakout year that players in his position like Harvey Barnes, who I've already mentioned, um, who really looked like they were going to the next level. But I think McNeil is sort of held back by the sort of system that we play. When you're a winger in a 4-4-2, you have to do so much defensive work as well. We ask him to do everything, whereas a lot of other attackers um, just get to attack and do a bit of tracking back. They don't have to do nearly as much work as Dwight McNeil does. So I, I don't think his raw numbers are particularly good. It's probably a handful of goals and a handful of assists. He can certainly work on developing those. Um in the, the next season. And and for that reason, I think he probably will be at Burnley for another year. Um, I don't think he's done enough to, to catch the eye of, of teams that would pay the sort of money that we would want for a Dwight McNeil, which would probably be sort of 40, 50 million in the context of what similar players have moved for and what teams like Villa value, Jack Grealish at 80 million, stuff like that. So I think it will be another year for, for McNeil at Burnley and, uh, he sort of wins the young player award by default. I think, like I said, we don't have any other young players. He's the youngest player in the team by five, six years, I think, depending on what team we put out. So, um, yeah, Tarkovsky and McNeil for me, but it's the way that the season's gone for Burnley. There isn't a great range of options for, for either award. Gotcha. And then Thomas, obviously a disappointing season for you as well, but who, who do you think deserves those awards? Uh, yeah, I think we've already had ours. And uh, I think it's uh, Pedro Neto uh, won both the, the players' vote and the, the fans' vote, and um, deservedly so. He 
he's sort of propped us up for a good few months and helped us get some valuable uh, victories. Um, he's unfortunately probably not going to be back in time for the start of next season. That's going to be a bit of a crushing blow. Um, but you know, deserved. I think he was. I think he was ahead of everyone. Uh, I think Adama finished the season strongly, and hopefully he can start next season well for us. We're signing him, getting him to sign a new contract in the summer will be massively important because we need to build, you know, the team around next season for the majority of it. If we have Jimenez, Traore, Neto as a front three, we're not going to be talking about being in the bottom half. It's as simple as that because they'll they'll score goals. But um, so we've got to tie down Adama to a, a long-term contract. But um, Pedro Neto won it, and deservedly so. Young player was Fabio Silva. Um, I don't think they, they, there's a massive amount of um, competition. We saw some young players uh, get some minutes towards the end of the season. Gibbs White came back and did well in a few games. And uh, Vitinha played quite well, although didn't really fulfil the potential. But I think we know that he has. Otisari, uh big strapping, you know, athletic midfielder, the kind of player I actually think we need in the team. He did well. Uh, but yeah, Fabio played a lot of football. I think he just got it because, you know, he got some goals and he, he did okay by the end. His game improved, but obviously it's a massive downgrade from uh, from Raul Jimenez. Uh, so next year we're hoping that he'll have a much more of a uh, support role. Yeah, and then uh, for Tottenham, perhaps unsurprisingly, Harry Kane <laughs> won the, the club player of the year. We'll see if he ends up winning player player of the year, but uh, he already lost the Football Writers Association one, so we'll see how the, the ultimate results go. Finishing uh, with the most goals and assists has only been done twice before, uh, so you'd imagine he has a good shout, but uh, a lot of people feel like, you know, best player on best club or, or most valuable player to, to borrow an Americanism might, might win it out. So uh, even though Harry won the club one might miss out on, on the league one. Uh, I don't think we announced a young player of the year. Uh, I don't even think we have that many candidates really left. It, it is an aging squad after all, but um, I'd say I was particularly impressed with, with Dane Scarlett when he uh, made his few appearances and obviously was tearing up the youth ranks. So uh, maybe we'll see him, a little bit sooner than some would have expected with uh, Troy Parrott for so long being the heir apparent, but is so uh, frequent in Tottenham's academy. The name that you've heard of is rarely the one that makes it through. So uh, <laughs> that might be what's going on there. Uh, the other award that we did announce was uh, Eric Lamella won our club goal of the year for the Rabona against Arsenal in a match that we lost and he got sent off from. So that's just really basically our whole season summed up. Uh, in a few sentences there. But uh, we will leave this whole 2020-2021 season there. Uh, thanks to you two so much for joining me. And uh, thanks for hanging in there throughout the weird season that all three of our clubs endured. But if you'd like to tell folks where they can reach you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm loath to tell people to go and read my tweets because with the football <laughs> season finishing, I've got absolutely no idea the sort of crap I'm going to be putting out there. But if you really, really want to, you can get me at Jamie Smith Sport. It's your funeral. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, yeah, absolutely good riddance to this season, but uh, it's been a pleasure whenever Kev's invited me. I always enjoy chatting uh, about the Premier League. Uh, if you want to get anything over the summer to do with Wolves, you can log on to wolvesblog.com. There'll be the occasional article, or you can read our tweets uh, at wolvesblog. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable on Twitter. You can also find it 
by with the name EPL Roundtable and all the podcasting things, but you've managed to do it at least once if you're hearing me say this. So uh, good job, you. <laughs> but that'll do it for us today. And uh, indeed, this season, um, we'll update you on, on what our off-season stuff will look like uh, as that kind of transpires and, and evolves. But anyway, again, thanks to you two so much for joining me today. Thanks to all of our guests who have joined us throughout this whole season. Thanks to all of you listeners who have stuck with us through uh, all these weird COVID seasons and such. And hopefully we'll be back uh, in, in stands and in a more exciting way next season. But anyway, thanks again, and we hope you keep listening. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.